Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game production. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by our co-hosts and stars of this show. We have Will George and Mark Wiley. It's a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Episode 136 here on Real Voices of the Game production. I want to just have a message to our audience before I have our guys introduce our guests and get into it. I want to thank our followers and our fans, 13,500 subscribers to date. Uh, we got roughly 200 questions today on Facebook. So uh, our audience, continue to download, listen, like, subscribe so we can get credit for it. Continue to give you quality shows every week. We're up to seven shows a week for our audience. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. As I mentioned, close to 200 questions today. I'll answer one every morning. Today was about common courtesy, so if you didn't catch it, go look on Facebook for that. And uh, the other the other mediums will get you as well. If you don't know how to get on the podcast and you're listening because we sent you the link, you can go to Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher on your phone app. It's your favorite podcast streaming device, uh, platform, and we're on all of those for you. So with that, guys, so excited about this show today. we got a great guest. Had a good time talking with him yesterday. He was by far our fastest guest getting the nuances of getting on the show. So I don't want to hear anything to the contrary today, um, but great conversation yesterday. And, and I want to turn it over to you, Will, first. You had something you wanted to chat about or just Pay a little tribute yeah. to it. Yeah, I want to welcome Murray Cook today, who is uh, a dear friend and a mentor. And and as we talk about on on our podcast all the time, uh, we love the game of baseball. But the 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 most uh, gratifying thing are the relationships and people that we get to work with. And Murray's one of those people. Uh, again, lucky having two. Uh, two or three of my really dear baseball friends that I love being on with. And Murray will be a great guest who spent his life in baseball and made a great impact in the game. Yeah. And Mark, you always prepare a great bio for our guests. Why don't you share with our audience the accomplishments? Yeah, of we're, we're really pleased to have Murray Cook, uh, who has a vast experience over more than 50 years in the game, uh, maybe 60. <laughs> careful um, careful <laughs> uh murray was uh he's one of our our uh top baseball people from across the border he was born in, in new brunswick canada um but he got his education and his bachelor of science and master's degree in history from ohio university in athens ohio uh he started his playing career when he signed with the pittsburgh pirates organization as a shortstop um, he played in their minor league system from 1962 to 1965. He was an all-star player uh, in Gastonia, the Western Carolina League. Um, they must have had a backup, a shortstop, because you you hit 295 for for all your years in the minor leagues and, and never got to move up past Gastonia. Um, he uh, a side note is he taught history at uh, Hunter Huss High School. Even during the season, which is, uh, I'd love to hear that story. Um, in front office in 1965, he was named the general manager of the Gastonia Pirates, who he had played for. Um, in 1966, Pittsburgh moved him to their front office. Um, in 68, he was assistant, became assistant farm director from 72 to 75, uh, assistant director of minor league operations. And, and in 1976, became the director of minor league and scouting, uh, minor leagues and scouting for the Pittsburgh Pirates. In 83, he was the director of player personnel for the New York Yankees. This is quite a story. I'm sure he's got some Steinbrenner stories for us, seeing how within a short period of time, he was director of, uh, of player development. He was the general manager of the Yankees. And then he was vice president and director of scouting all within about a year. So that'll be, we know how George was at that time in his career. In 1984 to 87, he was the general manager of the Montreal Expos. From 1987 to 89, he was the general manager of Cincinnati Reds. From 1990 to 2001, 
He was a major league scout with the Minnesota Twins and Miami Marlins. Uh, 2002 to 2006, he was the same job, but with the Red Sox. And in 2007 to 2020, uh, where he retired in 2020 as a major league scout uh, for the Detroit Tigers. Um, some of the some of the distinguished awards and memberships he had in 1970 to 1976, he was on the board of directors of Young Men's Christian Organization in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 2010, he was named East Coast Scout of the Year, and 2014, he was inducted into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, welcome, Murray. Uh, we are really excited. I know you've got a lot of s- stories and insights in the game. Um, uh, we've got a few questions uh, to try to stimulate your answers. Um, I'm going to start off with uh with uh, with all your experience and success in making trades as a GM, because you made a lot of trades when I researched you, it was unbelievable how many trades you'd made with really uh, dynamic players. Uh, what were some of the things you look for when you put together a, tra- a deal with another ball club or multiple teams? Well, back then, uh, it was more trading uh, talent for talent, as you're aware, Often today, the trades are made because of money. Um, and it, 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 the big thing was, of course, trying to strengthen the weaknesses on your club or the areas in your team where you needed help and not giving up uh, players or talent that was going to hurt you. Uh, nobody minded back then of, of uh, trades being equal. In fact, that's what you really hope for. Uh, yeah, but you mainly hope for the fact that, that that your player that you sent away didn't become an all-star or a Hall of Famer, I guess. Uh, I can remember making a deal in the, in the minor leagues with Pittsburgh, trading, trading David Dravecki away uh, on a minor league deal, and he ended up becoming a starter and a, a really good pitcher for San Diego and San Francisco, I think it was, later on. Uh, but our people didn't think he was going to pitch in the big leagues. Um, and I learned really early on, re- be really careful treading left-handed pitchers like Will George because they can come back and bite you. <laughs> yeah, I remember Dennis Martinez when I was with the Orioles. You know, he kind of got out of favor a little bit. He had some issues. And, uh, boy, he really resurrected himself in Montreal and became a, one of the, the greatest uh, Latin pitchers in the history of the game. That was a fun deal. Yeah, I, I do feel awfully good about that. We uh, we like to think that we gave a lot of players second chances. Uh, Dennis Martinez and Pasquale Perez come to mind, bringing them into Montreal, and both had excellent careers there, although uh, Pasquale's was fairly short. But Dennis was a, a delight. Uh, he and I managed to get together at one of the Hall of Fame, uh, Canadian Hall of Fame inductions, and, and reminisced about that. Uh, he had, as you know, had fallen into his favor, had some issues over in Baltimore. And I have to give a lot of credit to Hank Peters, too, who was the general manager of Baltimore at the time and who Will would remember. Uh, he was the one that started discussions on that deal, and he was anxious to give Dennis an opportunity somewhere because it just wasn't going to work in Baltimore anymore. And he wasn't looking to uh, get a lot for him. He just wanted to give Dennis a chance. Uh, and, and of course it worked out so well. Uh, and I like to think that, you know, the, the same thing happened. We had a player in, when I got to Cincinnati with the Reds named Jeff Treadway, and he was an infielder. Uh, Pete Rose just did not think he was going to fit into our club. And so I called around and ended up trading him to Atlanta uh, to Bobby Cox with the same idea, to give him a chance with another club. And he ended up playing, I think, 10 or 12, 14 years in the big leagues. And so those are the kind of trades that, you know, you remember and you like, and you, you like, to, you like to remember and think you, you benefited both ways. Yeah, it's just so much now with the money and all. You know, they're trying to dump money. They even eat money and release guys after they get them yeah. <laughs> in today's game. It just doesn't seem proper to me. 
It's crazy. Yeah, it is. I, I recall one, the, another one that uh, comes to mind for me was uh, Webster. Uh, what's his name? The outfielder. Mitch Webster. Mitch. Yeah. Uh, uh, Pat Gillick was in trial. I was in Montreal at the time. And Pat Gillick called and said, look, I've got an outfielder here that's not going to make our club. He deserves to be in the big leagues. Uh, Mitch Webster, they, you know, they were loaded at the time. And uh, so I, I myself, because all our scouts were busy doing things, so I flew down to Portland, uh, Maine, to take a look at Mitch and stayed there a couple of days and come back and said, yep, we'll, we'll take him. Pat did not want anything for him, just wanted to give him an opportunity to uh, to play in the big leagues, and Mitch became a really valuable member of our club and a good big league career. And, and as you know, he's he's been scouting for several years now. But those are the kind of deals you really feel good about. And I don't, I doubt those things happen much anymore. No, you know, Mitch, <clears throat> we had him in Cleveland, and then of course, as you know, we used to run into him on the scouting road. And uh, you know, he told me one time. And this is this is something that probably never happens anymore, but you know when he was near the end of his career, he played about three years with the Dodgers, and he didn't have an agent, and he would make a deal on to to save a roster spot. He'd go into camp on AAA roster. He already had his contract was uh, was set at a nice salary, and uh, he would make the club every year. Uh, but he gave him some flexibility during spring training by not being on the roster. And, uh, and I remember I said, gee, I wonder why more guys don't do that, you know, represent themselves because general managers, you know, regardless of what people think they're people. And when they start to like you, um, you'll end up getting more money from them. than if you dealt with them yourself, than having an agent in some cases, especially when you're a backup player. Good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't know that about Mitch. That uh, yeah, hey, very smart decision. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was a bright guy. It's probably why he's still in the game. Um, you know, you know, you've you've seen many changes in baseball during your career. Um, what are some of the things you kind of wish hadn't changed? Well, it is a different game today, and uh, I know that the general managers, the commissioner's office, are trying to bring it into the modern age. Um, I, I, I just, I, I think a lot of times the the, the moves they make, uh, the changes they make, are, are I just can't imagine them lasting. Uh, boy, I, I just that's a tough mark. There's just so many things. Uh, try to shorten the games. We should. Fans, I don't believe, really care about the games being too long as long as they're being entertained uh, and as long as there's enough action. Hey, the, the, the ball in a football game is only in play for 13 or 14 minutes in a football game. In a baseball game, it's on. It's actually in play for about the same amount of time. So I can have never been able to understand the allure that football has to fans to say there's so much action. Uh, there's no more action in football. There's a baseball as far as the ball being in play. Um, I, I think the main people that want baseball games to be shorter are the media uh, who want to get out of there and write their stories. Um, the, the, you know, the, uh, I just don't, uh, I just don't, I don't necessarily see it. And, and of course, the things that have lengthened the games to me are lengthening the time between innings uh, from minute and a half to two and a half minutes for advertising. Of course, that's generating revenue, so that, that's not going to change. And then the replay. Uh, the replays take for Now, I think they've I think they've made a change this year, haven't they? They're limiting the time that can be spent on replays. Is that right? I think so, Murray. I think, yeah. So that, that, that should help. Um, as far as the game is on the field, I, I, I don't. Uh, I'm always disappointed in the lack of fundamentals that I see that uh, used to be taught, especially in the minor leagues. There's so much emphasis on just the raw tool itself, the pitchers throwing hard and the hitters hitting far. Uh, there's so much emphasis on that that I think fundamentals have kind of 
taken a back seat, base running defensive fundamentals in a lot of organizations. And I, you know, I, you go to ball games today in the minor leagues. There's no infield. There's no batting practice inside, outside. Uh, there's no, there's, there's no practice on infield. Um, so that some of those changes, uh, I don't think it affected the quality of the game too much. But I, I am disappointed uh, that the game is not more fundamentally sound. You know, they, they they have this. They always have all these. They say they have these studies. I've never seen one uh, that says that uh, people want the game faster. I think it's an agenda-driven comment, and they just throw out there and say, "Oh, you know, we've asked fans. Well, what fans have you asked? <laughs> you know, like you know, it's like when they when they do these." these things on television during the election and stuff. And you you go, well, nobody asked me, you know, like it's amazing how, how phony some of that stuff is. Yeah. I think it's media driven. I really do think a lot of that's media driven. And uh, so we'll, we'll see Uh, the game. The games will be shorter. I know the shot clock uh, or the shot clock, the uh, the timing, the time clock for the pitchers. And the hitters, that will be interesting to see how that plays out. I've heard conflicting stories on how that's working out. It's a little early yet to tell. Uh, they've had that in the minor leagues now for a while. Yeah. But it was never very much uh, emphasized or, or, or it didn't seem to pay much attention to it. Um, so we'll see how it all plays out. You know, Murray, years ago, I mean, it was always a rule in the rule book. It was like 12 seconds. And, and, it was actually at some levels it was enforced years ago when I played. I, I saw a guy step out of the box and the umpire call a strike. He'd say, throw the ball. And you throw the ball. If it was anywhere in the vicinity, he called it a strike. You didn't yeah. have to be a strike. Yeah. Um you know, and, yeah, and you know, you're right, you Mark. Tell guys to get in the box, but all of a sudden they didn't ask the umpires to do that anymore. Well, you had something no. you wanted to add. Yeah, no, you know that you're you're right on that, Mark, because you and I both were fast workers, and I could remember umpires, you know, giving the hitter one little timeout, but then eventually saying, "Get in the box and yelling out to me, go ahead and throw it," <laughs> you know, because the game did move quicker, and yeah, guys were guys why, were being. Why did you stay in place? I don't understand yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Well, you guys are both pitching coaches. Uh, the, all the pitching coaches that we've ever had on the clubs that, with, with whom I've been, uh, they wanted the pitchers to throw fast. Yeah. yeah. Don't sure. take much time to pitch because it gives the hitter a chance for the muscle memory to catch right. up and for them to resettle. Right. You Don't put, give you, them a chance to get settled. You put a hitter on his heels. Uh, you know, you, you, you get into a better rhythm when you work quickly, especially right. if they're throwing strikes. And it, it – it makes the game a better game. Uh, Murray, the one question I wanted to ask is, uh, I think if I do my my math right in my head, your time as, as the GM in Montreal, uh, you brought in three Hall of Fame players, uh, outfielders, I guess, and Larry Walker, Andre Dawson, and Tim Raines. And that's when Montreal and I was playing against them in every league I was in, single A, double A, spring training all the time. And the the level of talent, the tools, the pitchers that threw well, uh, good, good teams, good managers like Larry Bernarth and Pat Doherty and guys like that that were teaching. Um, you, you, You guys really, really built what, I guess ended up being that 94 team that was probably one of the better teams in baseball the year that we went to the strike, right? Yeah, no, they, I have to give a lot of credit, much credit to John McHale, who was the GM and uh, president of the, of the club before I got there and who hired me. Uh, the, the scouting staff that he put together uh, was exemplary and they did, they they had brought in. They brought in so many good players, and of course, I've inherited that staff, and uh, continued on to sign those kind of players. Um, no question, there was a, they, they, the two Canadian teams. I do have to say, at that time, were forerunners in the scouting scouting uh, realm. Uh, 
developing players. And I don't know whether it was by accident. Pat Gillick, of course, has to be given credit in uh, in, Montre- in Toronto and, and John McHale and his staff before I got there in, in uh, Montreal. You know, uh, and and I didn't mention Galarraga was in the organization. And yeah, no. Wallach, I mean, the guys that were in that organization at that time, there were so many really good players. And, yeah. Um, you know, well, you know, yet they they just continued on too, right? I mean, with Randy Jones and Floyd and White and all kinds right. of guys. I used yeah. to go to the, I used to go see the major league games in spring training when I was scouting. I'd go down to the minor leagues in the morning and watch all those kids. And I remember somebody saying, "Mark, what are you doing down here?" I said, "I'm down here seeing all the talent, right?" Because there was no right. other scouts down there. Because it was remember it was like at a high at a what was it, a high school, a junior college or something? I can't remember. Yeah, over there in Lake Worth or yeah, whatever. Yeah, Lake Worth. So, you know, you had to drive over there. But they had talent for a lot of years. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you mentioned Randy Johnson. I have to say, we uh, he was drafted out of college. And uh, when he first reported, he was a disaster. I actually called the scout and I said, are we missing something here? Because he's not throwing well. He's not throwing very hard. I mean, he's 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 a bit of a weird, strange duck, anyway. I mean, I remember when I went to Jamestown to watch the Jamestown Club play, which was our rookie league team. I saw him driving into the ballpark on a bicycle. He looked like a scarecrow riding on the bicycle. <laughs> it was a disaster. But of course, it took a year or two for him to get it going, and the rest is history, of course. But obviously, that's the product of good scouting. Uh, a Good scout that stuck by his guns, and my uh, recollection, he was a second-round pick, maybe even. Uh, Murray, we had uh, we had Andre he, Dawson on the show earlier. Um, oh boy, on second, and he spoke very highly of the culture in Montreal. Yes, what what was so special about that culture? How did you guys build it? Um, we see it in today's game. We talk with Mark and Will a lot. Is there's no longer that sense of reverence for the veteran, or the veteran doesn't have a voice because there's so much input in these young guys' ears. What was so significant about the culture in Montreal that the Hawk recognized? That was John McHale and, and his, the group he put together, Jim Fanning, uh, those kind of people. They were they were veteran baseball people. They had a good sense of the game, but they also had a good sense of dealing with people. And that's what the culture is all about. It's about the people, not the game itself or not the business itself. It's the people in it. Um, my stepson, Chad Matola, is a hitting coach with the Tampa Bay Rays, and he talks about how much better the culture is in Tampa Bay than any club with, who, with whom he's been affiliated. Um, and uh, that nobody, everybody's very happy with their jobs. Nobody's wanting somebody else's job necessarily. They're happy doing their job. And as I say, that comes from the top. And I, I learned that or I've tried to carry that on as a protege of John McHale. And my other mentor was Joe Brown with the Pirates, with whom I grew up for 20 years. Uh, he was the same way. It's all about the people. Yeah. And it's being well, tell lost. Us, tell it's us a little good. bit about your Steinbrenner period. Do I have to? <laughs> that's what Stick used to tell me when I'd ask him. Uh, well, all I know is that you know NFL stands for National Football League, but for George, with Georgia says not for long. Um, <laughs> uh, George was a difficult taskmaster, to say the least. Uh, he was his best general manager. He was his own best PR director. His own best everything. And the, the people that he hired, he never trusted the people that he hired. He thought they were trying to take advantage of him. He trusted his people, his friends from outside more than he trusted his people. Um, but he would, uh, he didn't spend much time in New York uh, at, at the ballpark or w- with the team. Uh, he uh, operated pretty much out of his American shipbuilding company in Tampa. But he would call, the, we, our hours were 9.30 to 5.30 in the off season. Um, and he would call at 925 and he'd want to talk to all of his people, his, uh, you know, his, his, his uh, business people at the office to make sure that they were there. And you couldn't say, well, Joe's down the hall. He's in the bathroom. No, no, no. I want to talk to him. 
And then at 5.30, he would call at 5.25 to make sure everybody was there. Because I remember one year at, at Thanksgiving. Yeah, called, I was going to mention this story. Barry had told me this one. This is unbelievable. Yeah, they, well, not unbelievable, George. It may be <laughs> crazy, but not unbelievable. Um, he called a meeting. He was upset with all of us for some reason. And he would he called a meeting on the day after Thanksgiving uh, for 4.30 in the afternoon. We're all in the office at 4.30 in the afternoon, day after Thanksgiving, waiting for the phone call. As you know, it never came. He was just, you know, he was just busted everybody's chops, <laughs> which he liked to do to make sure that they knew he was, as you know, the boss. You know, it's funny because I, when I was a pitching coach during a period there, and I remember he used to fire the managers and pitching coaches all the time. And and I'd always notice, like, Stan Williams, he got fired several times. And I, I said, Stan, I saw him in minor leagues or something, and I said, Stan, why do you, why don't you just take your money and go someplace else when he fires you? Why why are you still working for him? He goes, Mark, you know what he does? He says he gives us all raises and sometimes titles and just says, go down to the minor leagues, do what you want to do. Yeah. He says he didn't fire anybody. He said he would give you a raise so you'd stay. He says, I don't know whether he thought it would look bad. It looked good for him if you didn't leave or what, but uh, that was a funny I always like to tell the story. We had Bob Lemon was a manager and he fired him at one point. And as part of his severance, he gave him a lifetime contract for $10,000 a year, uh, which was pretty generous. But every year, every year when it came time to pay him off, he said, why hasn't that son of a gun died yet? (laughs) Well, he hated it that he was still living. (laughs) He, we had one guy in the office. I can't remember his name now. He was a PR director. He fired him at least seven times, like you say, Mark. He fired him at least seven times. The guy came in the next day every time he got fired. He just came in the next day, carried on like nothing had happened. <laughs> Were you there during, during Denny the Billy Martin? Oh yeah, yeah. Give us some of that. Well, I got there and he made me the GM in July of a year because he didn't have one. He wanted a conduit between him and Billy and I was the conduit and uh and Billy was Billy was really okay uh to deal with as far as I was concerned but he knew I didn't have any real authority and so he just went on his merry way um then he fired him we fired him George fired him at the end of the year and then made Yogi the manager so I didn't have much occasion to spend I only had a couple of months to spend uh, uh uh with Billy and of course, George didn't let me go on the road much. I had to stay in the office and talk and call the GMs and make sure that uh, I was staying in touch with the GMs. In terms of his baseball mind, what did you observe? Oh yeah, very good. No, no, Billy. Billy was a bit, oh, really good baseball mind. Very strong. Is uh, dealing with people. You know, it was he had the the risk of sounding. Uh, non-political here, he had that little man's complex that uh, uh, he wanted to, he was, thought, thought himself to be a big man and carried himself like that and wanted to act like that. And it was all about Billy. Uh, but he had a terrific baseball mind. I mean, he was, as a game manager, he was unexcelled. Uh, players didn't care for him particularly because he just, he didn't really care what they thought. And then it showed up in his dealings with the players. But he got results. Everywhere he went, he got results. He was the same kind of manager, was a player, feisty. Uh, I'll show you. Were you there for the Ed Whitson brawl? No, no, no. no. I knew Ed, though. Ed, we signed Ed in Pittsburgh and traded yeah. him over there. And so I got to talk to Ed afterward a couple of times. <laughs> and I, by that time, he would just, you know, everybody laughed it off. But no, I wasn't there at that time. But I can imagine... Eddie being, he was a little feisty himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Two two heads buttoned for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard that the, he was, Billy was really hard on coaches. That he, but it, but the coaches knew that he, in some cases, he didn't really mean it. It was like him, it was his way of getting the players to listen because he would yell at somebody like it was their fault. 
even though he knew that it was the player's fault. Yeah. I heard that a few times. Well, he was a psychologist of sort in that regard. I mean, he played people against one another, but he, he managed to bring out the, often the best in players somehow. Because um, he did. I mean, his, his yeah. clubs performed yeah, over they the years well. in Oakland and New York. And, how would he would how would he be in the modern game today? What would that be like with him out there wielding? <laughs> yeah, he's one of those players, one of those guys. I don't think many of them would. Uh, the game has changed dramatically because of the because of the analytics. If uh, you don't go along to get along with uh, as a manager with the analytics today, it's, you have to really have a great resume, like you know Dusty Baker and those kind of guys, and Bruce Bochy now. Starting to bring those back. I think you're going to see a, a tendency uh, back toward uh, the old way of, of, of eyes, eyes on the field and eyes on the players. You, I think there's a there's a spot in the game for both analytics and the regular scouting. Uh, you're going to see a melding of the two, and that's what I hope happens. You know, we, we, as far as the analytics, managers kept all that stuff in their heads. A lot of that stuff right. in their heads. Uh, back in the old days, and uh, but today everything is so codified to almost to an extreme—not almost, but to an extreme—about about the statistics. I mean, baseball is a history of statistics. The game of baseball, what we love about it is the, are the statistics from 125 years ago, even from back then. Uh, so they're still important, but a lot of the stuff today is somewhat superfluous. Uh, I always like to think, see this the launch angle and the distance the balls are hit. Those home run hitters, Hank Ed didn't care how that, far that ball was hit. went over the fence in a home run. That's all he cared about. Right. That's all anybody cared about. Not take how far. The, take the RBIs in the home run. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not how far, how many. No, right. RBIs exactly. are anything now. They, they don't even, uh, uh, the, the analytics fellas don't even care about RBIs particularly. No, no. No, they're, a, what, what, they're happenstance, right? Well, yeah. That's, uh, guy, you know, guys don't actually ever hit in the clutch, although all of our lives we know that there are certain guys who want it up in certain situations. That's the thing. One of the things that disturbs me more than anything are the number of strikeouts. And, uh, and I see the trend continuing in spring training. Uh, and I think fans are going to get tired of that. There's no action on strikeouts, really. And, yeah. uh no baseball action, and I just think it's really a detriment to the game. And that can be that can be lessened with different by, by a different approach to hitting. I think the two strike hitting is out the window now. Nobody uh, nobody cares about being struck out. We used to be embarrassed to strike out. Right. You know, so, you know, one of the other things I've I've really noticed too is that. Uh, Guys who are not good hitters get three zero green lights, and 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 I've seen five or six of these in the last couple of days. Guys who are lifetime two two ten hitters getting a three zero green light, and two pitches later striking out. And I go, boy, that was that was a productive at bat. Hmm. You know, you're, you're, I, I I I don't get it. You know, when guys were two two twenty hitters, they took three zero. You know, you're well, trying to get all hitters. They're in the minor leagues, <laughs> right? They took right. three one also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, it's funny that when you think back at years and years ago, the third base coaches uh, really did a lot more uh, uh, sight stuff to the hitters. You know, they they would point for them to hit the ball the other way when there's a guy at third. Right. You know, they would. You know, they would they would tell him to hit a fly ball if this guy on third base with, with less than two outs. You know, they would point things out um, that, you you know, they used to walk down to the plate, call timeout, and tell the, the hitter, now come on now, give yourself up one way or the other. Give yourself up. We got to get that guy in scoring position. You never see that stuff anymore. No, situational no. hitting. Situational hitting is a thing of the past. And I've talked to Chad, my stepson, about that, and he said they really just don't focus on it anymore. They don't want any hitter to get cheated out of getting full swings. Uh, they don't bunt anymore. You, you never see, hardly ever see anybody sacrifice anymore. 
Um, they just they, they don't want to give up outs, and uh, they want those hitters to be free will. Even the even the hitters that are singles and doubles hitters, uh, they want them to be trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 amazing, you know, especially when you go and you see the better hitters in the game, the Hall of Fame, you know, career guys that approach three hundred batting average. And you see them take batting practice. They they still hit the ball the middle the other way. Yes, batting practice. They're the only ones that do. It's like, isn't anybody watching these guys? They're the best at it. It's crazy. Yeah, crazy. Well, how, you know, I know you've learned a lot of a lot of things over your career. What are some of the things that you feel that were most important that you learned in your career? Well, the, the, the most important thing uh, as far as administration, and I was in administration for the first 20 years of, of my baseball career after I got done playing, was how to deal with people. And it carries on, you know, in all walks of life, but uh, trying to be positive. I'm a big believer in PMA, positive mental attitude or positive mental approach. I think you get a lot more out of people by being positive with them, uh, which is the opposite of George's approach to administration, was uh, the more you can make people uncomfortable. And Marge shot too. The more you can make people uncomfortable, the better they'll be. I don't necessarily believe that. And then when you get into scouting, a lot of it's the people too, but um, you learn from the older people, the veterans, the game. I remember when I first started scouting after I got done administration, uh, being around people like Pat Mullen and, and uh, you know, just a myriad of guys, Randy Gumpert, guys in the, up in the Northeast. Uh, and and you, you, you listen to those guys. You listen to them. You go out with them after the game and, and you listen. I can remember sitting in a room with Don Hogan, Clyde McCullough, till four and five o'clock in the morning. Them telling stories. I didn't have any stories to tell, but they had plenty of stories to tell. And, 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 and you learn from those stories. Uh, but but we listen to the older uh, the older the veterans in the in the business, and I'm not sure that's so much the case anymore. Uh, I think the, uh, the I think the analytics people, and I hate to sound like an old fogey, but I guess we are or I am. Uh, the analytics people, you know, they're pretty much set, and and the, the, the numbers tell everything, and the numbers don't tell everything. The most important thing in scouting to me. A lot of people have ability. It's a makeup, right? That's what separates the, the the good ones from the great ones, and the good ones from the not so good ones. Is makeup. Uh, whether you can deal with adversity, whether you can deal with fa- failure. Baseball is a game of failure. Uh, as far as a hitter is concerned, they fail a heck of a lot more, heck of a lot more than they succeed. And you've got to be able to deal with that. When you fail at a time of bat, you've got to put that out of your mind. Totally, you learn from it, maybe something, but you got to put it out of your mind that you failed, and that's you know that's that's something that I think uh, is missing when you talk about analytics. So that's why there has to be a melding of the two: the analytics, the, the, the numbers, and what we know up in the you know what we know from looking at a player, talking to people that have dealt with this player, talking to coaches. Yeah, I, many more, many more organizations were scouting driven years ago, oh, and now yeah. you've got the analytics to to you know is it driven by analytics or is it driven by eyes on scouting? Right, and I think there needs to be a melding of the two, and that's going to be those are going to be the teams I think and the organizations that will continue to be successful. How would you do it, Murray, if you were brought back and running an organization right now? What would be your first step to get them to Meld it together. Hire Will George and Mark Wiley. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll take them from you, man. Right answer. <laughs> well, it, it, it is. It, it's a matter of hiring the right people in both areas uh, and making sure that they realize that we're all part of one family here. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing, obviously. We all want to provide uh, input that will help us win. In whatever job I have, it's an important job. The, uh, the the lowest minor league coach to the major league manager 
we're all looking at doing this one way. And I, and I referenced the Dodger way. We had the pirate way uh, when I was with the pirates, uh, all working up for the same goal. And if you're not working for the same goal, then you bring in people that will be. Uh, there's a lot of smart people out there. A lot of smart baseball people, a lot of smart people in athletics and uh, hire the best the best ones that have the idea, that realize the idea that we're all trying to win. We're trying to say, whatever job I'm doing, I want to be the best of my ability. I know that sounds easy to do. It's a, it's a tough job to make sure you have all everybody on the same page. Uh, you know, Murray, you're so right. It's and, and I think a lot of it's ego-driven on both sides where uh, – when, when, when and you mentioned what talking to the chat about the continuity that they have over there where there's not a lot of egos getting in in the way and people are allowed to do their job and they focus on making their players the best they can be and um, I think a lot of times you know the the newer analytic people have their ego and that everything they do is right and a lot of the older people don't want to hear anything on the analytic side. Mm-hmm. And it's like marrying it and putting the putting the value in both and utilizing it to make your players the best they can be. Not it's not about you anymore. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely, that's right. No, it's so uh, it's human nature. Everybody has an ego. Yeah. Um, but you so know, I think that you know it's it really comes from leadership and. You hit on it. You can have a leader that's pretty uh, uh, narcissist and, and, and it's about them and they, they can't have success. I won't lie about that. But over the long run, whether it's a general manager, whether it's an owner, whether it's a manager of a club, the true leaders of the organization, um, it will falter. It'll falter sooner than it would if you have people on the same, same page, right. you know, people. And, and you made a comment and I've always, I've always said that when I talked to coaches, when I was, uh, you know, running a, a system, I, I would say, listen, you know, let your actions, let your coaching ability allow you to be considered to move up. You should never want somebody else's job. And I used to tell general managers, I, I I said, I don't like those kind of people around me that are, you know, degrading a guy that's ahead of them or telling players, I, you know, I know I can help them. That guy can't help them. Uh, guys that try to tie themselves to a player. I said, those kind of guys don't build for, for an organization that's got character. Right. Yep. You know, uh, Murray, I wanted to ask you a question. And, you know, we worked for David Dombrowski, and I know you hired him in Montreal. And uh, Roland Heeman was the first to hire him. And we see what kind of general manager he's become. And he's going to probably end up in the Hall of Fame, as he should. Right. Um, And, you know, what was it that you saw in David – and then I know your close relationship with him with our time in Florida and, you know, the things he did there. But, uh, you know, maybe share a little bit for the people listening about, you know, how special he is as a general manager, too. Focus. He has, he has amazing focus. He has a, he has a terrific memory. Um, as much as anything – Probably the reason I hired him was because when I talked to Roland about him, and David got let go over and with the White Sox with Roland because he was Roland's guy, and uh, Ken Harrelson got rid of all those people. Uh, he didn't get let go because of anything he had done wrong. Uh, you know how that goes. And so anyway, he uh, but his focus and memory and just – is its ability to take a problem and deal with it and solve it was what, what, what Roland told me was one of David's main uh, attributes. And of course I brought him over to be the farm director and he was 
really good at that because you're, when you're organizing a minor league system, that takes a lot of a lot of thought and a lot of work. And he, he jumped right in and was no problem. And he had not done that before. He had strictly been Roland's assistant. Uh, had never been in charge of anything. But he uh, he jumped right in and did a great job. And he, he continues to do that. And he has cemented, his, you're right, he's cemented his Hall of Fame credentials, I think, yeah. with the, the performance of the Phillies last year. You know, he just, uh, he's always seen the big picture so yeah. well. Uh, from top to bottom of everything. Uh, and in the end, um, I look around baseball and I, I see people that don't know how to put a club together. He's always known how to do that. There's just, he lets people do their jobs. Yeah, exactly. And he's really good at that too. Yeah, he's, 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 he deserves what he's gotten. And he's, you know, there's a reason for the success of the teams with which he's been affiliated. And at the trade deadline, you better check your voicemail every 30 minutes or else you're going to hear from them. We never had voicemail. No, Murray, I remember one day I was driving I was driving up to Portland, Maine, and it took me about 14 hours because, because that was before cell phones. I had to pull over every half hour and find a pay phone and check my voicemail. <laughs> the only place you had a pay phone was... A- at the gas stations. That's right. So, That's right. Yeah. I remember, Dave, you know, most of the good, you know, good general managers, when they get the lunchroom before the games, they would come in there and sit with the scouts and talk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, some some now, you, I understand you can't even find them in the ballpark. No. No, David's still amongst the people. I just saw him the other day. Murray, I told him you said hello. Thank you. And um, on the road. You know, I'll see him in the in the in the upstairs press dining area, and he always has time to come over and say hello to every scout at the ballpark. And he has his little cards, like Roland taught him years ago, on every person in baseball. I think, right, Murray? Pretty much, boy, you are He puts them in his chest or pocket of his shirt. Yeah, every organization he has their scouts' names and. Uh, something about their family, maybe if there's a little relationship there, he's unbelievable. So, but you know, there's a reason for the success because he truly builds all those relationships all over. You know, speaking about being in the club or in the uh, press room, one of the things I think one of the more important, thing, most important things for major league scouts is not what you see in the field; it's what you you're upstairs in the press room. From, right from the media guys, yeah, the scouts, yeah, you're right. And David yeah. was good at that. You bet. You know, Gary Hughes was one of the best, right? Oh. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he was. He was unbelievable. What a personality, too. How about uh, you know when you were doing the draft, uh, when you were involved in those kind of things? How did you look at like high school drafts versus a college guy? Um. Back in the day. Yeah, back in the day, 80% of the players that were signed back in the day were high school players. It's just the opposite today. Uh, high school players were more mature, I think, uh, than they are today. And so you could get a pretty good idea of what the, the success that they were going to have. But today, they're coming out of high school, the kids are pretty immature. I advise young players to go to school uh, for the most part and uh, go to college and, and play in college because the college game has improved dramatically. It's not as good as minor league ball, but it's still improved dramatically. Um, but it has, it certainly has changed dramatically uh, in the last four. Yeah. Of course, that's a long time ago, 50 years ago. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a different game now. Yeah, it is. And, I think you're right. I think that there, there's going to be some realization as we go down, uh, down the the line, to where they're going to go back to some of the things that the true things that 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 happened years ago that seemed to that worked that made sense. You know, I, I don't I don't see it just continuing to 
to to go with these unbelievable rule changes and mm-hmm. and, and those kind of things. It, it the game has been pretty good for a uh, hundred and some years, and all of a sudden we're going to change some of the rules. Doesn't make sense to me. I reflect back on Bill Terry from 1920 because I know you guys weren't there, but he said this game has to be a wonderful game, in spite of what the owners do to try to screw it up. <laughs> and uh, and uh, oh. no, that still, still rings true today. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah it really does. A great to a great degree, but. Uh, We've we've kept Murray on for about fifty minutes, almost an hour. Great conversation, uh, Mark. I know you have you got a couple questions that you wanted to to get in still. No, I think uh, I think we're pretty good. I just uh, I know that you know you mentioned some of your mentors and uh, you mentioned some of the players that you had um, because we're kind of a pitching show. What are some of the attributes that you saw in some of the better pitchers that you had over the years? Uh, I did never like pitchers. I'm sorry, Mark. I've never liked pitchers. They're, they're right, necessary, they're necessary them, right? for the game. <laughs> Not being one myself. Um, oh, golly. Just the uh, – with right-handers, you look for big old guys that could throw pretty hard. For left-handers, you look for guys that could could pitch. Um, uh, I was this, Steve Blass always comes to mind. I go back to my pirate days when they when we had the Steve Blasses and the David Justies, and it, it's all about uh, being able to throw pitches where you want, which is location. It's not. There's no secret. There's no magic to it. It's being able to throw strikes in good spots. And everybody knows that pitches in the middle of the plate, the averages are better. The average is better when you when, when the hitter sees balls in the middle of the plate or in certain spots. And the pitchers know that. Uh, I think catchers are a big part in uh, the success of pitchers back when. Not so much today because they don't get to call the pitch. Don't even call the pitches anymore. Everything comes from the uh, dugout. It's off a script. You know, it's funny that you you watch video today on the game. I used to show this to my pitchers all the time. I, you know, they talk about guys with power, and and I said ESPN comes on every night. You get back to your hotel room, you turn ESPN on. They're showing all the highlights, and all the highlights they aren't guys making pitches. They're guys hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Right. I said, take take a look and see where those pitches are they're hitting. I said, every one of them are like center cut, Mid- thigh or higher. And <laughs> I go, so so when you throw a ball down and away or you get a ball truly in on a guy's hands, you're not seeing those balls hit out, but they only show you the power of the guys in the middle of the plate. Right. Good point. That's exactly, yeah, that's, it's, yeah. It's crazy, you know. It's like they. It's like every night they'd go back and they'd they'd have a. They, they could get afraid by watching the team they were going to pitch against the next day by hitting all these bombs on really <laughs> bad pitches. Remember when you used to have the pitcher for the next day sit behind the plate, uh, uh, of the game the night before he was going to he was going to pitch. You don't do that anymore, of course, because you got video. But I thought I thought that was pretty valuable too. For, for, a, for a pitcher, a starting pitcher, to be able to sit behind the plate. And chart, right? Yeah, yeah, chart. yeah. yeah the chart. Chart yeah. every pitch and chart every pitch. wings and, and see the location of the outs and uh, watching BP every day. You know, the other team doesn't stay and watch other guys hit. Like we used to sit out and, you know, if I was pitching in a series, I would watch the other team take BP a couple days. Yeah, not anymore, though. They don't take many practice on the field half the time oh, anymore. Exactly. Yeah. What's the value of that, Murray? So we, we've got an audience of grassroots from right now. We're almost we're up to 70 countries. I didn't even know there were 70 countries out there. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're all over the world now. Grassroots right. front offices. What advice would you give to coaches out there about batting practice? I mean, that's, it's gone everywhere. What, what's accomplished in that? Well, oh gosh, back control. Uh, but again, that, that deals with uh, situational hitting too. 
man on third, you try to hit the ball in the air, you hit the bottom half of the ball with the top half of the bat. And, you know, they don't talk about that anymore. They don't talk about moving the runners over. Uh, I, 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 defense. Trying to lift the ball. And I'm not a big proponent of that. They, were, they want to hit the ball in the air all the time. Uh, I think the shift, doing away with the shift is going to allow for more success on ground balls because we see so many ground balls hit in where it used to be a hole. Um, I think that'll help the hitters. But just uh, be the fundamentals of hitting, uh, just have changed so dramatically. Just uh, hitting down on the ball more, trying to get backspin on the ball. Right now you're trying to, as I say, lift everything. Uh, and I just think that, I think the old way is conducive to better averages. Maybe some fewer home runs, but better averages, more contact, more more baseball uh, plays being made defensively if the ball's put in play. It just makes the game more interesting, I think. What about that in batting practice? How important is batting practice to defense? Oh, to read, defense? Yeah, read the uh, ball. Not, not, not so much, I don't think. That's interesting, though, David. I've never thought of that. Uh, I I think, you know, for, for, for outfielders to track balls off the bat, getting jumps, read the sound, the swing, yeah. I think there's a lot of benefit. I remember I, I've talked about uh, John Shelby. Uh, when he was a shortstop in junior college, and uh, Tom Giordano moved him to center field, and he would kick the pitchers out every day and try to catch every ball he could off the bat in one, yeah. one whole group. And uh, John ended up making himself a gold glove center fielder. Uh, yeah, that's a good point about the outfielders more than the yeah. infielders. I think. Yeah. Well, I think the nature of our game, it, you know, years ago, it really made sense uh, for pitchers to study and watch the flight of the ball from the outfield to the plate where they would get a half a step jump because they could see, well, the guy's going to have to pull that. Um but command is so bad now that it's. It, I I think that outfielders have said hell with it. You know, I'm just going to watch when the ball's hit because I can't I can't get a jump because I'm not sure if it's going to be away or in, even though the catcher's sitting there. Right. You know, I think and and Cal Cal used to do a lot of that reading at shortstop, and for his size, he would get to as many balls as Ozzy Smith, which you you would never have thought, but because the pitchers had command and he had a sense of sureness that the ball was going to be pitched where it was going to be pitched and the hitter was going to hit it in the general area, he was leaning and moving almost all the time as a young shortstop that was always fun to watch. And you would go, wow, how did he get to that ball at six, four and a half and his size? Because he started before the ball was hit. Yeah. 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 I remember the Yankee. I'll never forget uh, Sandy Alomar Jr. with like bases loaded, and he hit a rocket ground ball between third and short, and Jeter caught it between his legs and threw him out. And I said, "I said you got to be kidding me." I said, "But you know what? They had some guys who could command the ball, right. and it allowed Jeter to cheat too, right. to where he could get to places and make real easy plays that would normally be difficult." Yeah, I, question, I question whether infielders and outfielders even know the what pitch is being thrown to. I, I'm agreeing with you. I, I can't believe they do. Not with all the band, wristbands and all the switches and all that. Are you kidding me? Right. You know, I don't, I still haven't figured out why everybody's so afraid of people stealing a pitch. Right. We never had that problem. No. We, we could solve it ourselves. We just tell the guy, don't do that or there's consequences. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's you keep doing that, somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> I never trusted my guys trying to give the sign on second base. I, it would drive me crazy because half the time they didn't know what they were doing. Um, as a hitter, that used to be distracting to me. So, we've, we've had Murray almost an hour, and he's been gracious with his time. I've got one more question for him. Mark, Will, do you have any? No, I'm good. You good? You good? Murray, my, my question to you um, – Tons of great information. We could probably have you on for days. Um, I'm sure that would be great for you, right? Hanging out with us for days. But the uh, we've got the the, the audience now. Thirteen thousand five hundred subscribers. We're 
in 70 countries, as I mentioned. A lot of young kids are listening to the show. What advice would you give to a young baseball player um, in today's game trying to uh, just learn the game, become great at the game, even excel at the game at the professional level? Uh, starting from Little League on up, it's just a lot of practice. You know, the, the basics, really, uh, David. A lot of practice uh, to get your dad and go out and play catch. Uh, go try to hit his glove. Uh, you're not going to be a pitcher, but it teaches you accuracy. Uh, just playing and playing in games uh, as much as you can. I, I, I think we spend so much time just taking batting practice and instead of going out and playing games, we used to pick up games. And I know that's hard to do anymore because you, you know, unless you're playing on a team, um, you just can't do it anymore. You can't, you, there's no, there's nothing, there's no games to play unless you're playing on a team, but uh, play other sports. Uh, Soccer is a good sport to play uh, as an as adjunct. You don't want to play the same game all year. You're more susceptible to injury. If you play the same sport all year long, uh, play another sport, basketball, football, soccer, whatever it might be to, to learn the nuances of those games too. It all helps. Uh, so often today, a young, a young player, a young person is is uh, required to spend the, the whole year playing the one sport because that's what the coach wants. It's a coach more than anything wants him to excel at his sport. That's why you don't see any three-sport athletes anymore because the seasons overlap so much. Um, just, uh, just. You know, it's the same old story. Play it, have fun at it. Uh, you know, so don't let it become work. If if baseball becomes a, all work and no fun, you're going to have a hard time performing anymore. And learning to deal with adversity, learning to deal with some failure. Um, there's a lot of that in all sports, but I think especially in baseball. Without question. Will, you wanted to add something? Yeah, one quick thing. Uh, great advice, Mary, but just to make everyone smile, we had Bill Shearer on a few weeks ago. And uh, as, as I say his name, everybody's smiling. But young, young Bill Shearer, one year or so out of playing uh, professional baseball, thought he could kick Murray's ass in tennis. <laughs> and Murray was an extremely good tennis player and uh, passed the genes on to his daughter and his grandkids. Uh, and uh, Murray wiped Billy Shearer up, which was beautiful for us all to watch. <laughs> I wish I was there. You, oh, mean you, you, you listen to Bill Shearer. Well, yeah. For, but... <laughs> For, for forever, I can remind Billy when he starts talking. I, geez, you remember that day Murray wiped you up <laughs> at our organization meetings in Florida? Oh, oh, it was beautiful because he thought you were old and couldn't play. He thought he was going to kick your butt. So, uh, Got to love it. Got to love it, guys. Yep, for sure. Murray, I, I lied. I got one more question for you. you, you Will mentioned your, uh, the tennis player. You, spending a lifetime in baseball, as both Will and Mark knows, you have to have people behind you, around you, that sacrifice for you to be able to do that. Make, would you be willing to make mention of some of the people in your life that sacrifice personal that helps you con, uh, continue a lifetime in baseball? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the, the wives uh, are the key people there. They raise the children. You're gone all the time. Uh, I'm getting to do things with my grandkids today that I never do with my own kids. I was on the road all the time, and uh, it's just the nature of the beast, I guess. And we think we have to be out there watching baseball and so forth, and that's part of our jobs. But the wives are the key people, uh, and everybody. I think everybody would ascribe to that. Um, they're the, they're the main ones, and I and I give kudos to uh, my some of my coaches. I had a couple of coaches that come to mind: a, a basketball coach uh, in high school who enabled me to get an education, um, guided me, you know, got my got me a scholarship when I couldn't have gone to school otherwise. And then a guy named Bob Wren, uh, my baseball coach at Ohio U uh, at Ohio University, uh, teaching teaching the game. 
coaches back then, they had to win, but they didn't have to win. They had they were teachers, and they were going to be there for the whole time. Uh, They're going to be there for years and years, and their main focus was teaching and building building better better people. Uh, but it's it's the wives that do it, uh, David. Yeah, no, it's great. And I want to thank you for your time today, Mark and Will. Another great show. Um, to our listeners, 13,500 subscribers now continue to download, listen, like, subscribe. And we uh, will continue to keep feeding you the great content that we're doing with shows like A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. It's episode 136, I think I said earlier. And we'll continue to give you great shows week by week. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The guys got me to come out of my social media cave and get involved with it. So I'm enjoying the audience, engaging with them. And Murray, thanks again. Some great information, not just for young kids, but for coaches and, and, and people that love the game. You're a breath of fresh air and, um, you know, we, we wish you well. And we'd like to have you back if you would. Thank you, David. I appreciate it very much. Appreciate being on. It's fun. And I enjoyed it very much myself. Thank you. And just hang thanks, on. Dave. It was great. It was great. Yeah. Thank you, Murray. You yeah. bet. And these guys are all about relationships, as you know. So it's always nice to hear that. Hang on with us for a minute after the music plays, but I'm signing off here with a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. Another great episode today. And uh, just hang on with us after the music plays here. Thanks, Murray. You bet. This town ain't small. It's a little above, they say. Our ball club may be minor league, but at least it's triple A.